Welcome to Dare a New Belief, a place to discover what is possible for your life after the loss of a loved one, and where you will find inspiration, insight, support, and love, and hopefully a bit of laughter to help you through the day. Now here's your host, Nada Hogan. Welcome to Dare a New Belief, where you will find light and life, love and joy, healing, faith, and hope a place where you get to believe in what is possible for your life. And today I have the great honor and privilege to be with Dr. Sue Murder, who is an international speaker, master of bioenergetic medicine, and quantum-filled visionary. She is the founder of the Murder Institute for Bioenergetics, an international destination for healing and wellness education, as well as being an international best-selling author of the book, The Energy Codes. Dr. Sue discusses the relationship of the conscious and subconscious mind and how they relate to anxiety and stress versus triumph and success. Dr. Sue teaches us that we are multidimensional human beings. There is more to us than meets the eye, even more to us that meets the mind. Dr. Sue teaches audiences to explore the far reaches of their own awareness through practices of self-healing, meditation, and inner reflection through integrative breathwork. Welcome, Dr. Sue, and thank you so much for being here. Oh, it is my great pleasure and truly my deepest joy to have these conversations and to see where we can go to dive into what matters most for humanity at a very interesting time in our world. So I look forward to what we get to explore today. (laughs) Yes, me too. Me too. So Dr. Sue, as you know, the majority of my work and this podcast is named in honor of my daughter, Dara, who was killed when she was 18 years old. And as a parent, losing your child seems to be the deal breaker with life whether we choose to continue on living a passionate life and an engaged life or just kind of calling it quits and retreating. And of course, we know that there's some people who have chosen to take their life because they couldn't live with that heartache and that pain. And I know your work is phenomenal. And I'm curious, how do you help people who have lost a loved one and especially if they have lost a child? Mm. So, you know, it's a a very huge question, right, about some of life's deepest topics. And I would would have to say that the approach to serving someone in this situation is a multidimensional approach. There isn't a quick fix. There isn't a pill. And yet the solutions don't have to take a long time to settle in. It is an approach from every level of our lives that is the one that is most comprehensive. So if we can approach it on a physical level, on a mental level, on an emotional level, and on a spiritual level simultaneously, we are most assured that we are going to have an an outcome that, that begins to shed light on this circumstance in a very different way. So there are physical things that we do to work with people to teach them to breathe in a way that pulls them out of an emergency fight or flight state, which is, you know, clearly likely under the very moment that news such as this is is delivered. 
when we are impacted in those moments, our entire nervous system reacts as if, you know, the whole world has just crashed down and our own survival instincts kick in and can kick in so much so that it pulls us out of our own healing capacity because the body works on a priority basis. It works on survival being the number one priority. So no matter how devastated we are mentally and emotionally, our physiological response to such news is going to be an immense fight or flight defense protective, almost as if to try to shut out the, this idea completely. But the physiology jumps into this protective mode and jumps out of a, a healing mode. So healing from the news and from the, the circumstance unfolding becomes even harder because our system isn't really focused on healing. It's focused on surviving and protecting and guarding instead. So we address things on a physical level. And I'm happy to explore the, any of these categories in detail with you as we dig in. But let me just mention some of the others that I also approach it on a mental level in that there are some perspectives that I work with people to try to raise our consciousness around why such devastating things happen in our lives and to have some clarity around that there is a divine purpose unfolding, even though it looks anything but divine when we're you know, thrashing about in the midst of such, such heartbreaking turns of events. To the same proportion of the pain, there is a tremendous gift that is attempting to happen in our soul's journey. So we're looking at it from changing our, our limited view of just trying to deal with the circumstance when I approach it from the mental perspective. And then the emotional perspective falls into place in accordance with that. So in other words, if I can raise my awareness as to why something has happened in my life, my emotional reaction to its happening is also going to be updated and soothed to some degree. But I'm also teaching people how to take that emotional energy and use it to their advantage instead of it being overwhelming and short-circuiting to them. So, so we can speak about that department in whatever order is, is appropriate for you today. And let me just then also say that I'm also looking to how we might address the spiritual component here because it certainly seems to be anything but an act of God or a spiritual happening in my life. In fact, it can elicit a spiritual crisis in my life. So very difficult for someone to, to think of this in terms of that there could possibly be a gift in here. So the immediate thing is a triage kind of thing to see where we need to stabilize someone first. And then we start to work on every level of their lives so that there can be a stabilization and not only a stabilization, but ultimately a healing and not only just a healing but ultimately, ultimately, a revealing of a, a true gift that has been buried deep inside this situation. And once we kind of pull those things together, an individual's life, it begins to unfold in an entirely different direction. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. So if we talked about just the physical, just the breath, because I do a lot of your breath work that's in your book and from the level one program, the Energy Codes program, online program that just concluded. Is that the same breath that you're talking about? Or is there a different kind of breathing when somebody is in that type of crisis mode or no? So some of it's the same and some of it is a little unique in that crisis mode. 
You know, when we breathe in our bellies, when we breathe deep, long, deep breaths, slow, long, deep breaths, we change our physiology instantly. We change the messages that are happening for the nervous system. We change the nervous system's responsiveness. We bring more oxygen into our vascular system, which again elicits messages to the central nervous system saying that all is well, that there is a, a reprieve here. Even if the mind can't understand any kind of reprieve, we're kind of sneaking in the back door and creating a physiological disposition as if everything is better. And lo and behold, the subconscious then starts to relax and it starts to facilitate movement in a different direction. So, so slow, deep belly breathing activates the nervous system and the cardiovascular system in such a fashion that it allows a calming. And there are some of the practices that are in the book that are absolutely helpful in stabilizing an individual and their, their mind and their emotional being in all the same ways that you've been learning in the course that we just taught. And someone can still plug into that course if they wanted to get the recordings of what you just went through, and then they can join us in the, in the level two that will be starting you know, in February. So the whole idea is how do we anchor ourselves and stabilize our emotional states as quickly as possible? And within five minutes, an individual can make tremendous inroads, actually within seconds, they can make tremendous inroads just by doing some of the practices that, that we've been speaking about in that, in that course and that are written in the book. One is Mula Banda, which is rooting ourselves and anchoring our consciousness in the core of the body. And the body helps to stabilize the energies of our emotions. But we're used to living in our heads, and so we don't know to do that. We don't know how to use the body in such a beneficial way. And so that's one of the principles that I'm teaching in the book. I'm happy to go over some of those practices today in our conversation if, if you find it appropriate at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, maybe even maybe even now if we can, because it reminds me. So my daughter, she was in a car accident. This was 11 and a half years ago. And I didn't know anything about your work at all. And I just remember I would, I would hold parts of me and literally kind of jumping, but spinning at the same time and literally just saying, Oh my God. 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 Cause you just, there's, there's nothing to hold on to. You can't wrap your head around anything. And all of that breath work was, I mean, if it made it down past, you know, the upper one inch of my lungs, it would have been a miracle that how I didn't hyperventilate. And, and I see people who do that also. And, and just having this ability to be able to take that breath and to bring that consciousness down and anchoring it into to Mulabanda, how just saying that immediately, even though 11 and a half years has gone by, I still could feel me anchoring in that moment and that spinning feeling dissolves at the same time, right? Because right time isn't linear. I don't have to go back in time. It's happening all at the same time. So you can tap right into that, but I can feel my whole entire body just breathe and not be in that place of grasping for something. There's no ground underneath you. And at that moment, at least for me, there was no God above me. You're in the abyss. So yeah, to ground yourself just with your breath, my gosh, it's so powerful. Yes. And in our culture, you know, we just haven't been taught this. And so no one thinks to do that. And you found it organically in your own way of, of just stopping the bleed, if you will, and on a, you know, emotional level and a, a psycho spiritual level even. And so, you know, if people have found that version for themselves, that has been 
stabilizing in some way, you know, that that's a, a wonderful thing. And what, what I'm doing is, is bringing forth a, a step-by-step process that people can do that will absolutely stabilize them, even if they haven't found a way to do that for themselves. I mean, especially if they haven't found a way to do that for themselves. And it is a, a process that doesn't just compensate for the trauma that we've been through. It actually begins to integrate it. And, and a healing happens as a byproduct of that. So we don't want to just make do, you know, just survive, just to get by. We want to do things that are going to allow our system to, to deeply heal and to, as I said earlier, more than heal, but to really become more because of this situation rather than forever less because of this happening in our lives. So, yeah, so let's dive in. Let me just share a couple things that that will help to stabilize anyone's consciousness, meaning their mind and their, their thoughts and their emotions and how it's affecting their lives on a physical level. By using the physical body and the mind and the breath together at the same time in a way that starts to bring a congruent regularity to their energy system. Is everything is energy. Our whole lives are just energies in different frequencies that are interacting with each other all the time. The physical reality that we're living in is energy. And so we want to be able to masterfully work with this energy in a way that serves rather than something that feels like a runaway train that we just, you know, are just drowning in, in a, in a tidal wave of sorts. So first we're going to contract the musculature in the pelvic bowl, which is uh, similar to a Kegel exercise, if people are familiar with that, it is as also as if you were sitting in a chair, the muscles that would be touching the top of the chair, all those muscles involved are helpful to begin engaging uh, as well. If you've been going to the bathroom ever and had to stop the stream of the, of the, of the urine instantly, there are certain muscles you have to contract in order to stop that stream. And those are the specific muscles that we're speaking about. It is at the base of the perineum, at the base of the pelvic bowl, the perineal muscles. And so if we squeeze those, what it does is it automatically anchors us. It roots us. It locks it in and ties our, our energy and our awareness at the base of the spine. And the Eastern culture is well aware that anchoring our consciousness at the base of the spine is, is necessary if we're ever going to completely feel like we've arrived in this life, if we're fully here and, and completely present with ourselves. That's, that's how it happens. If you're familiar with the chakra system, it is rooting yourself at the root chakra, uh, not just by thinking about it, but also by moving some of the musculature that is associated with that root chakra at the same time so that we're getting the body involved and the mind involved at the same time. Now we're going to take a breath into the belly. So you're squeezing these muscles as if you were stopping the stream and you know contracting these muscles at the base of the perineum. Uh, kind of like a Kegel exercise again. And now we're going to take a belly breath. And it's very interesting at this moment, people think, well, I can't do that. If I'm squeezing these muscles and I'm also going to breathe deep in my belly where my belly gets big on this inhale, I'm squeezing the muscles and yet I'm trying to press my belly out with my inhale. I can't do that. Which one am I supposed to do? And my answer is always, yes, you're supposed to do both of them at the same time. And that's the point. So if it feels like there's resistance or there's some kind of impossibility. That resistance is actually what we're looking for. We're looking to pull the muscles in and then breathe out with the belly because in the body, 
The breath is spirit in the body. So my spiritual self, my true, essential, soulful being is in here, in my system, and I want to be able to find it with my mind. I want to be able to know that my spirit's okay, because if I know with my mind that my spirit's okay and that my spiritual presence is here, then my mind will be soothed instantly. My mind will calm down because it won't feel like it's all alone. It won't feel like it's all up to it to make things work and to make life okay. And and what ends up unfolding is this greater sense of, of belongingness and a sense of support and a sense of connectedness. And that is what is needed for mental and emotional healing every time, you bet. So, so this resistance, I'm pulling the muscles in and I'm breathing out with my belly, there's a resistance there. That resistance, if we can create it inside the body, then we don't have to maintain our resistance in the outer world, resisting what has happened, resisting life, resisting our greatness, resisting you know the illusions of our own inadequacy. All of that stuff is just, we're here to, to, to melt it all into loving presence. So it might be helpful if I say that we learn through resistance. We learn through resistance. So when we're resisting something, and it feels like we're in huge resistance to something, just know that just on the other side of my resistance, when I release into this and I embrace it and accept and start breathing with it, there's going to be a tremendous up-leveling of my idea of who I am. I'm going to have a better understanding of my capacity in the world, and I'm going to feel more connected. I'm going to learn that I'm a multidimensional being that I'm not just an individual five sensory human being here trying to survive on its own all alone, but rather there's a different, a different sensation. There's a different experience. There's a, there is a different reality that I could tap into and it would allow healing to happen in my life so much more easily and so much more quickly. So if we can create the resistance inside the body, then we don't have to maintain the resistance to something that has happened on a mental, emotional level in our outer lives. We don't have to create resistance in our relationships. You know, oftentimes when we've been traumatized by an experience like this um, of loss of any sort, we have a tendency to act that out and we start becoming resistant in our relationships. So we, we get resistant to our workplace or we get resistant to life or to God or, you know, whatever in general. And when, when we're experiencing that kind of, you know, we just want to shake our fists at something, it's a sign that we are in a state of resistance. We are definitely in a state of resistance that we can do something about. And if we use the body, it helps us do something about it really quickly really quickly when we use all of our faculties together at the same time we pick up enough momentum to change to change the direction and to change the speed of this runaway train and to stop it and to actually get it turned around so we squeeze these muscles and we start breathing in the belly inhaling the belly gets big and exhaling the navel comes back toward the spine and inhaling the belly gets big and exhaling the navel comes back toward the spine and it's kind of the opposite of how we were taught to breathe we were taught to breathe where you inhale and your chest gets big and you suck your belly in and it looks good like a strong soldier or, or that kind of a, a breath so oftentimes learning this breath is exactly the opposite of how most people have been breathing and I just want to encourage you that that alone can change your world if that's how you've been breathing if you've been breathing the opposite way so again Again, the inhale, the belly gets big, like a big Buddha belly. And then the exhale, the belly gets small. And that's the opposite of how the Western world was taught to breathe. So simple breath, but it will change a lot. 
It oxygenates the blood, brings you out of fight or flight, and sets you down inside of yourself. You may even tear up just because you're breathing that way, because it's also accessing the second chakra level, which has to do with your emotional state. So your emotions might start unpacking. And so you can do this breath really rapidly. Inhale and exhale out the nose only, and you can go as rapidly as you want to, and it will actually help you dissipate that built-up emotion that was stored because we didn't know how to deal with it. We didn't know how to accept it or to embrace it or be present with it. And so you can do this belly breathing breath of fire where you're just exhaling and exhaling. And then you relax the belly in between the exhales and the inhale kind of takes care of itself. So it's like a, you're just focusing on the exhale, 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 exhale over and over and over. And it has a real capacity for transmuting stagnant emotions that have been being stuffed for a long time. Okay, so there's that. Then I would add something that is tremendously beneficial, which is called the central channel breath on top of this. It might seem complex at the beginning, but it's totally not. All you're doing is imagine that there is a channel that runs right down through the center of your body from the top of your head to the tip of your tailbone. And it's like a tube, like picture it to be like a tube that's hollow. And like, like a fluorescent light bulb, those long tubes, those long white tubes, something like that. So this tube extends from above your head and you breathe in from above your head right down through the center of your brain and through the center of your throat and the center of your chest and the center of your heart and the center of your solar plexus and the center of your abdomen into the tip of the spine. And so you're going to inhale from above your head right all the way down with this belly breath into your belly. And then, and to make it long, make it a deep breath and let the, let the abdomen kind of drop toward this mulabanda that you're contracting. And then you're going to exhale right down through this mulabanda, this root lock that we're contracting in these perennial muscles. And you're going to exhale into the earth beneath where you're sitting. And then inhale up from the earth beneath where you're sitting, up into the belly. And then contract that mulabanda and then squeeze your shoulder blades toward each other. This is going to anchor you inside this tube or think of the tube as like this elevator shaft and we're going up and down the elevator shaft. So then exhale up through your throat, up to the center of your brain and out the top of your head like a whale and a blowhole or a dolphin and a blowhole out the top of their head. Now take another breath in from overhead right through that crown chakra through the soft spot of a, of a baby. It's that same spot on your head and inhale through your throat and in through your chest and into the belly, make it a big belly then squeeze that mulabanda, squeeze your shoulder blades, and then exhale through that root lock, that Kegel exercise, into the earth. And then you can relax the mulabanda and then inhale from the earth, and you can squeeze and relax it and squeeze and relax it all the time. Into the belly, breathe up into the belly and squeeze the mulabanda, and then squeeze your shoulder blades and exhale up through your chest, up through your throat. Roll your eyes up and feel the tension behind your eyes. And use that as a way to aim where you're going to exhale this breath up through your throat, up through the center of the brain, and then shoot it out the top of your head. So that's a central channel breath with anchor points coming into play so that you can anchor yourself in this elevator shaft. Now, I will share that while this seems like, oh my gosh, pat your belly, rub your head, how do I do all this stuff <laughs> at the same time, you know? It seems like a lot, but after you practice it a few times, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. And what it does is it anchors you in your body. 
And when you can anchor yourself in your body, and that, this is the same thing that you were doing when you were just holding different parts of your body and just you know rocking or twisting or doing whatever you could do to just feel a comfort. That we move down into the body in a spiraling type fashion, which is you know something that I I, I teach in the later coursework. But what what matters is that you were already on to that. You were you were tapping into this innately, and I want everyone to trust what they've been doing innately and add this breathwork onto it because it will anchor you instantly in your core and the next, and even if all you ever do is belly breathe, that's okay. Then if you can belly breathe with maybe that squeezing the perennial muscles, that mula bandha on top of it, that's awesome. And then if you can add the central channel to that, even better. And then if you can add, you know, squeezing your shoulder blades together or rolling your eyes onto that later, so be it. You don't have to do it all at the same time to benefit from this. Just belly breathing alone is going to start the process. And then the more succinctly we can anchor ourselves into the, into the physiology, the sooner we will feel stable. And that's the key. We have to stabilize ourselves. We've been traumatized. Something's happened here. It's big, life-changing. And so in the midst of that, we want to make sure it changes our life for the better and not just disrupts it in the way that it, that it did initially, that we want this to ultimately lead to a freedom and an opportunity to learn more about the purpose of every happening in our lives and how it's serving our evolution and, and refining us in a beautiful way into compassion and understanding and unattaching and being able to still love unconditionally, even though outcomes weren't what we thought they were going to be, to be open to there's some other service in the world that I'm going to be able to provide, or there's some other way of, of loving that I'm going to learn about because of this. And, and I, I love to, to be there for people to help them understand what those possibilities might be. And breathing in this way stabilizes our emotional selves enough that we can be open at some point to learning what those things might be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's powerful. And that breathing, I did feel like that, like it is you're patting your head and rubbing your tummy. It's like, I don't think I'm ever going to get this. And it, it's true. It just took a little bit of practice and I got it. And then it becomes very innate. You're doing it. And you don't even realize that you're doing it. So I find it to be so powerful. And I know that you have a lot of students that, that agree with that. Dr. Sue, I want to ask you, you, you had just said this because this comes up often. I work with people who have lost a loved one and, and and that's hard, but losing a child just seems to be that one where it's harder. It's, it's out of what we would call the natural order of things. We feel like we've been ripped off. You know, this was like, you know, who's running the show here? God's the worst CEO ever. And you had said that when we can come to and through the breathing, you know, and there's the mental and the emotional and the spiritual that comes with this also, but that this event could actually change our life for the better. And I know that that is exactly what has happened in my life. But if somebody would have told me that early on, and of course, for everybody, it's going to be, you know, it, it could be a month, it could be, you know, three years before they can accept that as being their truth. How do you approach that? That this, and especially if we're talking the loss of a child, that this changes our life for the better. How do you approach your clients when they say, mm, really? Like, explain that to me. Yes. Um, let me see where to begin here. It is such a 
a, a huge gap, right? It's a huge gap, as you're saying, a huge one to traverse. So I've used this conversation that I used to call the council conversation as if it was a council of angels, all of us before we ever came to this planet and took a body and started living here on earth, that we gathered as a council of angels to help support one another in our journey as, as evolving souls. And I used to call it the council conversation and say that this group of angels would, would this council of angels would gather and say, what do you want to learn while you're going in to this life experience this time? And, and one would say, well, I want to learn compassion or I want to learn forgiveness or I want to learn courage and I want to learn it really big. And, and I, I've been there before and I had an, a small experience of this, this, this idea that they call forgiveness or, you know, we'll just take that one for example. And now I'm going back to have a bigger experience of it because it was amazing. And so at the council conversation, we, we engage in, in how that might take place and how we could help each other, you know, create that for themselves. And then I was sharing that conversation with a group of people that were not inclined to be, be interested in having a conversation about a group of angels because it was more, a little bit more business oriented and the people I could just tell that their mindset wasn't going to be open to having a conversation about angels. And so I spoke about it as if we all went to the bus stop to catch the bus to come to earth. And so it's referenced in the book as the bus stop conversation. And at the bus stop, while we're waiting for the bus to catch the bus to come to earth, we each share about what we're, what we're interested in learning and evolving into this time around. And so one person might say, I'm interested in a level 10 experience of forgiveness. And someone else might say, well, well, how does, you know, how's that going to work? How do we do that? How do we work with a level 10 experience of forgiveness? And the person says, well, you know, I guess someone's going to have to do something that's like nearly unforgivable. And in the midst of that, that unforgivableness I'm going to live in my, my, my pain, having not forgiven, having not embraced, having not accepted. And I'm going to live with that begrudged type of energy for years. And in the midst of that, I'm going to suffer because when we hold on to the no, meaning this should not have happened, this was wrong, this was bad, and, and I'm angry at God, and I'm angry at life, and I feel ripped off, etc. The longer I stay in that disposition, I'm going to I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be changing my physiology. I'm going to be impacting my chemistry. I'm going to be changing how the energy flows through my system. I'm going to be restricting my ability to to breathe the way that I should breathe. I'm going to be restricting my ability to heal the way that I'm intended to heal, the way the system is built for automatic healing. And I'm going to go down the road long enough that I'm going to really start to feel the impacts of that. And then when I get tired of being sick and tired and I'm having to face something that I've not let go of, uh, I'm going to do some soul searching. And in the midst of that, I'm going to reach inside of myself and find some part of me that I didn't even know I had that is able to return to love on command, a part of me that can forgive something that I just thought was unforgivable and unreasonable to even be asked to forgive it. And it just didn't make sense. But all of a sudden, it becomes a priority because the body works on this priority system. And, and now I'm suffering so much that I don't want to suffer this much. And I'm willing to reach inside of myself and find this peace. 
And I'm not even going to really know what I'm doing when I'm doing it. I'm just going to open my heart and the door's going to fly open and I'm going to forgive. And I'm going to experience a state of forgiveness that I never knew before. And so the other people at the bus stop are like, oh my gosh, you know, that sounds amazing. What's it going to take? And so the person says, well, it's going to have to be something nearly unforgivable. Like someone's going to have to drink too much at happy hour and then get behind the wheel. Could have been avoided. Everybody knows you don't do that. You know, I could certainly build a case for how wrong that was. And I could stay angry because of it. And then in the midst of that, you know, they get, they get behind the wheel, they cross the center line, they hit my car and they, they take, they take my child and cripple me, you know, for starters. And, and now my child who never had a chance, you know, boom, here we are. And so whether it was cancer or whether it was an accident, an incident, or whether it was uh, one's child taking their own life, all of it fits into this idea of the bus stop conversation. And, and here's what it's about. It's about, can I, can I prevail? Can I survive that? Can I be okay? Can I go to the place where I forgive that and experience the level 10 experience of forgiveness that would be required for such a devastating event? Can I find that part of me? You know, and then the mind goes to, well, why would my child's life have to, you know, be compromised in order for me to learn? And I really, then we always take the conversation under a setting when I'm working with people over a long period of time and we get, we get the opportunity to explore this. You know, I'm not just throwing it out here like something to think about, but I am throwing it out here as something to think about and know that there is a lot of support available for anyone who would be considering such an idea as a real possibility for themselves. You know, we have a, we have a social media support groups. We have all kinds of, of uh, events that I'm constantly teaching that, that will allow you to, to, to start to absorb this and, and embrace it on a deeper level. But, but the conversation then always goes to, well, why would my child's life you know, be impacted in order for me to evolve? That doesn't make sense. And then I, I take the conversation to an even deeper level and say, you know, we truly are eternal beings. And if we want to reap the benefits of being an eternal being, one of the ways that I know to do that is to start thinking of yourself as one right now, instead of waiting until sometime later in eternity to identify as a spirit. What if we were an eternal spirit being right now and that we have the, the opportunity to look at life from this perspective where we're going in and this this sweet soul volunteered to be the one to help me evolve and last time or next time i was the one helping them evolve and then we'll pay it back again and back and forth and back and forth in all kinds of ways you know there are many spiritual traditions that speak to the fact that, that we are soul families that that we are these star families that that have these soulful experiences that travel together for long long periods of time so that we're constantly allowing for these kinds of of evolutions and supporting each other through them so that this becomes a beautiful unfolding for one another and as an eternal being we realize that this is a blink in time that this entire lifetime is just you know it's here and it's gone and we can kind of from our linear perspectives get a sense of that where it feels like time is picking up speed and that things don't seem the same as they did when we were kids and you know and it's all part of the soulful evolution that that is happening for all of us as a group and individually and so if we were to get to the point where we realize that an entire lifetime was kind of like a project 
that we're just kind of going in and experiencing and then coming back out again, that we have the opportunity to to truly start to see these things from a bird's eye view, from a higher perspective. And the higher the perspective, the more the more easily digestible any situation is when we can zoom back the lens and look at, you know, we've, we've coined the phrases as, you know, this too shall pass this, this, this will, you know, heal in time. These kinds of ideas are out picturings of what I'm talking about, but we have ways of dealing with this much more rapidly, much more in real time, collapsing time in the now we can start to process these things. And, and if we're willing to allow things to heal, they will heal. You know, sometimes we hold on to the pain as honoring our child that, that was lost. We hold on to the pain as honoring the, the beloved. Maybe it wasn't just a child, but, but other types of loss. We hold on to the pain in order to honor the love that was felt. And, and part of the process is we have to give ourselves permission to move on. We have to give ourselves permission to, to go to the next step Moving on doesn't mean that you leave behind the love. It means I'm, I'm willing to engage in the love and bring the love to life and let this serve something. Let it not be for naught and not continue to keep it in the realm of an accident or something that shouldn't have happened or, that, or a travesty, but rather let it turn itself into a benefit in my life and a teaching tool that is serving me rather than you know, taking me out of the game it literally puts me in a bigger game. So I'll stop again and see if this is, if this is helpful for what you're having in mind for our conversation today. Yes, absolutely. Because it's one of the things I just spoke at compassionate friends and, you know, and that's a a support group for parents who have lost a child or siblings who have lost a sibling. And, you know, and, and, and I know other people in my life that I work with where it is that, some people just want to hang on to that pain and that anger and and it does feel like there's honoring in that and to be able to help people to realize that there's other ways that you can honor your child or or your loved one whoever that that beloved was in your life who's no longer on this planet although always with us there is no separation between us and them ever but it, it's amazing to me and Geraldine Glass is one of my, well, she's my alchemy singing crystal ball mentors and teachers. I just finished up a class with her. And I know for her and where her life has taken her after the passing of her son, and it's been the same exact thing for me. In fact, that's my, my tagline is epic life from epic loss, that I would not be doing what I'm doing. I would not be living with such expansion had it not been for my daughter's passing. And sometimes people just can't or, or aren't in the place to, to understand that or maybe don't want to understand that. But she completely launched me to this place and, and talks to me daily. And I know that the same exact thing happens for Geraldine. And, and when other people can know that and can really tap in and listen and maybe see the signs or hear that, that still small voice that's not only their own inner knower, but their beloved also, their child, how everything in their world becomes technicolor and changes and how you can change other people's lives by being able to embrace that there's a possibility that maybe I can look at this passing of my child or my loved one differently. Indeed. 
it is a tremendous, tremendous transformation when we can turn it over like what you're describing. And, you know, one of the greatest gifts that we will ever acquire on this plane of existence on this planet is to know that we're not a separate being, to know that we're connected as cosmic beings all the way here, that we are we are a stream of consciousness that traverses through every dimension of reality. And for people who haven't been used to thinking about things in those terms, those words might not even make sense. But basically what I mean is that we're anchored in heaven and, and we are divine beings that have, have come here and are living in a physical vehicle, but we're spiritual beings that, that are like a full spectrum. So we exist in every realm between here and wherever someone would perceive heaven to be, whatever vibrational frequency someone would perceive heaven to be. We're not a separate bubble. We're, we're a stream, and that stream is connected all the way through. And one of the benefits that I have seen happen with people with great loss in this way, you know, of which Geraldine is one, is that it opens up a doorway of connectivity across the veil that someone that we're so deeply connected with and so deeply loving is now not here in their physical form anymore, but they're here in their non-physical form. While we're here in the physical form, it opens a doorway for us to reach through that veil and be connected to the worlds, the realms that we also exist in, but have lived in a culture that didn't do anything to teach us about it. In fact, poo-pooed it and thought that people were strange that were, you know, speaking across the veil or being a medium of sorts that had access to, to such things. We, we basically have held that out as something odd or strange or not, not typical. And so, so in that, we've, we've duped ourselves as a culture because then it causes us to live as a separate individual that doesn't, does, hasn't refined our senses, hasn't refined our capacity to perceive in other more subtle realms. And this is what I'm teaching people with the Energy Codes coursework that you've mentioned earlier. I'm teaching people how to access the subtle version of themselves because the subtle anatomy, the energy being, the quantum self, that there are many ways that we reference it now, the chakra system, that, that being that exists at that level has access through the veil. And so, and far more subtle than the chakra system even, we're working with people. So when we, when we tap that, that version of us, we have access into these other dimensions. And this great loss is a tremendous way. And this is one of the things that was so helpful for Geraldine when I started telling her to, to reach him. Don't grieve him. Reach him. Find him. Bring him to you. Invite him to show you how to go to him and start building this connection in a tangible manner. You know, I had a great awakening about 20 years ago. And in that, I awakened through the veils into our multidimensional selves and, and had complete visual direct contact with the divine. And it changed my life forever. And as a kid, I had access across the veils and could see energy around people and things. And I shut it down because as I talked about it, I could see that it, it wasn't you know, acceptable. It didn't make sense. It wasn't normal. And then later in my 20s and 30s, I wanted to get it back. And then in my 30s and 40s, I started suffering because we do. We suffer when we're disconnected in that way. And so I sought out meditation as a, as a means of, you know, a salve to my own mental and emotional pain. 
and instantly reawakened, you know, to a much greater degree than I was as a kid. And so in that, I then turned my life into a living laboratory, realizing that I had access again and anybody could have access. We just need to learn how. And so I started finding how to reproduce those experiences for myself. And then I started using it with my patients and my clients. And the next thing I knew, people were healing faster and all kinds of things were, were connecting. Dots were connecting for people. And so when I started working with Gerald in this way, you know, it started opening up for her. And she started having this regular communion and, and guidance. And then the key becomes how do I ground and integrate this, this newly opened up version of myself. And so I codified those things and I teach those to people so that we can traverse this veil. It isn't real. It is, it's only, it only seems like we're in the only world and there's this other world over there somewhere because that's how we were taught to believe. And we weren't taught how to build our skills and develop our senses and, and work with ourselves in such a fashion that we could develop that connectivity. On top of that, there were beliefs around it that it wasn't possible and that those people were strange and, you know, all of that. So, so we're here to, to dissolve that, that illusionary uh, confinement and open ourselves up to the possibilities of connecting with our loved ones and having, having, having an, a way to develop that relationship and being ever so grateful that having a beloved on the other side of that veil is what's allowing us to open our hearts and open our minds to a greater version of who we are because the more we care, the more it opens. And so we can care without being sad. We can care into the adventure of what relationship we might develop moving forward if we're interested in doing that and knowing that that too can honor them even more so than just grieving them forever, but to allow them to be alive and allow them to guide us and to lead us and to show us and to teach us what they're here to show and share. Right. Absolutely. Oh, and I have to tell you, and I know we're running out of time, we're going to have to wrap this up, but I want to share this as you were saying that I remembered it was probably a year after Dara's passing and I always wore Levi's, the jeans, Levi's, and I was cleaning out my drawer, but you know, too small or too big or dirty or, you know, worn out, whatever. And I'm hysterical. I just dropped to the floor and I'm just hysterical because, and I say out loud, you know, with the snot and the tears and the whole thing, I can't get rid of these pants because she'll never recognize me. How will she ever find me if I am not wearing these pants? And I know it's, it sounds so illogical, but in that, in that breakdown, in that hysteria, I heard her so, it wasn't auditory outside of me. It was completely in my heart. But there was no question what she said to me. And it was so clear. And she had said, perhaps you are not leaving me behind at all. Perhaps I am just waiting for you to catch up with me. And for the longest time, I took that as meaning that, you know, eventually I will pass away and we will be in heaven. But that was not what she was saying. She was saying, I will guide you. I will keep showing you. And I have said so many times, she has become my greatest teacher. She has taught me. She has taught me things that, that I would have bet people a million dollars that will never happen in my life ever. And yet she has become my greatest teacher. And it was, it was through the transition of her, her life here on this planet and the transition of her and into, you know, whether I call it heaven or the energy realm or wherever she's bopping around, but she's there and, and she's here with me at the same exact time. And it's just, it's so beautiful. 
And, and if other people can get to that place of just knowing that I can embrace both my life here on this earth with my five senses, and hopefully I can grow into more than just my five senses and also navigate this with my loved one because they've never left. They're still with us always. Yes. In a more comprehensive state, they are. They're seated there and their attention is on us. It's with us constantly. And especially when it feels like they're not, we get afraid or we get worried or we get sad or we get lonely or we even get angry. Like, where are you? I need you. In those moments, it's there and it's all teaching us how to honor the heart more than the mind and the stories that it writes and the fears that it gets locked in on to honor the heart, just to honor the love more every moment in every way. Sometimes it shows up like surrender. Sometimes it, it feels like we're just collapsing in, in defeat. But if we stay loving, if we stay present with ourselves with compassion and we stay on the self, it reveals into this, this magical place that you're describing and that Geraldine has been experiencing and that so many other of my clients have been, have been living into through all kinds of forms of loss that they have experienced and then turning it into a, a roadmap, really a guide for a higher perspective on life. So it's available for everyone. And that's the best news. It's available for everyone, everyone. Oh, oh my goodness. I could talk to you for so long and I just, I want, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your, really, it is an extraordinary schedule. What is the best way for the listeners to be able to contact you or to get involved with your work? The best way to find your book? I don't know if you're doing it a different, oh, I know you are, than just Amazon, but how, how should they connect with you? Sure. So yes, the book is available on Amazon. You can also go to Barnes and Noble. You can go to booksamillion.com, any of those online resources for purchasing books. And it also is available. You can order it through my website and click into those. If you come to my website and get it there, I've also included additional meditations and gifts for people just to, to try to support them in additional ways that you would come into contact with to help to heal and to help to transmute life circumstances. The book is also available on audio if someone's not really a reader, but you'd rather listen to it while you're driving down the road. And that is kind of helpful for people to know. Also on my website, drsuemorter.com, it's just D-R-S-U-E-M-O-R-T-E-R.com. You can find access to the book there. You can find access to coursework that I'm teaching and interviews that I'm sharing and, and all kinds of classes that I teach. I teach some free classes once a month and I have some healing things that are going to be starting. So if you get on the website, you get into our email list and I, I don't do a lot of solicitation and that kind of thing. I'm just, I am offering things that I think are, are truly valuable for people. So if you're on that email list, you would be made aware of things that are happening. I travel all across the United States. I take people on journeys to sacred sites around the world as well, teaching them yoga with anchoring the consciousness in the core of the body during the yoga asana and also teaching them meditation techniques and how to develop our ability to develop this, you know, what we reference as a sixth sense, but it, it comes as a byproduct of further developing our five senses, the way that we're used to, to using them, but learning how to use them in a different way. So there's, there's just a tremendous amount of support here. It's my life passion, and I love teaching 
people from every kind of perspective. I also teach people a healing technique that uh, is a hands-on technique, and I, I've taught practitioners uh, across the country, around the world, actually, uh, a technique that my father developed. And I have practitioners located in lots of places. So you can come to the website and see if there is someone near you that could help you in in all of this, facilitating the conversation or getting some hands-on work. There's just a tremendous resource on my website. So I would invite people. I would suggest they go there to uh, to see what is available that might be appealing to them at this particular time. And you have some fabulous interviews that you are doing on Gaia under Healing yeah. Matrix. Yeah, those are phenomenal too. So oh, yeah, thank you. I'm thank kind of you. stalking I, you. <laughs> I so enjoy that. Yes, it's it's a it's a different role for me. I'm usually being interviewed, and in this in the Healing Matrix, I'm on Gaia. I'm I'm interviewing all kinds of different healing practitioners and doctors and researchers that are that are providing alternative healthcare approaches for us, for, for healing on every level of our lives. And I, I hold their feet to the fire for radical wholeness to be represented with every episode. So it's, it's a fun thing to do. Well, you do a beautiful job. It's phenomenal. So I just, I, I thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. This has been so inspirational for me and I know how inspirational it will be for the people that are listening. And, um, just, yeah. God love you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You know, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank you for, for holding interviews and podcasts and bringing information to people. You've had some breakthroughs. And when you turn and, and want to share that with other people, this is what humankind needs. And it's what we're here on the planet to do. So I want to thank you for the important work that you're doing to help bring these kinds of conversations to people and open people's hearts and let them recognize that there is, there's not only hope, there's a there's a new door that's opening for you through great trauma and great loss. Like you said, epic loss leads to an epic life if if we're willing and if we have the tools. And thank you for helping to provide both for people. Ah, oh, absolutely. Thank you. I'm going to cut that clip and I'm going to play it every night when I go to bed doing my <laughs> meditation. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. And for all of the listeners, any information on contacting Dr. Sue, if you weren't able to write it down, don't worry. It will be in the show notes. Until next time, have a beautiful, blessed week, and we will be back next week. Much love. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please go to nadahogan.com for show notes and other information that you can use right away. If you like what you've heard here, please subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to rate and review right there on iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. We'll see you next week.